Amen. Are we willing to surrender all to him who loves us the most, to him who created us? What a miraculous time it is that we make our way through the Ten Commandments. I want to go ahead and encourage you to take your Bibles and open them with me to Exodus chapter 20. And as you as I mentioned last week, as we begin this journey, I'm wanting us to kind of see the intention I believe that God gave the Ten Commandments. It's not just a set of rules of do and don't, but it's a revelation from a heart of God that loves his creation, that loves his people. He wants us to understand who he is in all of his grandeur, in all of his magnificence, in all of his holy, these give us a picture of who he is. And it has really touched my heart in studying this and moving beyond the idea of here are ten commandments. It's going to tell you what you can and what you can't do. Because I believe even as adults we still have some of that... um, stubbornness from our childhood don't you tell me what to do I I remember one time growing up as I might have shared this with you was down at a friend's house and his sister was out there and she had a light bulb in her hand and of course me and my friend are like throw it down throw it down she would just hold it she wouldn't do it mama comes out there don't you and she said you know, we, we have just a stubbornness, I think, that's built into our fleshly nature. But I believe if we can get beyond the picture that our world holds today of some high and mighty person sitting on a throne, void of what's going on in this world, just wanting to tell us what to do and waiting to zap us when we make a mistake... I wouldn't want no part of that either, would you? But when we can see a God who loves us, he knows what's best for us, and he all throughout scripture from cover to cover of our Bible, God's holy word that's infallible, it has no error, it's not capable of error, has never been proven to have error, is a testimony of God saying, look at who I am. And look at how much I love you. I tell you, love's a big motivator. Amen. If I know someone loves me and someone cares for me, then I want to be with them. This morning, would you stand with me as we turn? I want us to look at today what I've entitled, Why Do We Need Idols? You know, some people think they have to have an idol. Well, why do we need them if we need them? 
But maybe it could be said with the common there, why do we need idols? Let's begin verse 1, chapter 20. God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold himself guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And it shall, and you, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your sons, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourners who are within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Father God, thank you. Lord, this morning for your word. Father, your revelation to us of who you are, of your holiness, of your just being above time, Father. And Lord, I just pray truly, Father, that I believe in Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that Holy Spirit would fill me now and allow me to step aside. Because, Father, what I have to say is worthless. But, Lord, what you have to speak is all the truth and all the power. Father, may they hear you and not me this morning. And, Lord God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Remember, I, I said last week that I, I believe these Ten Commandments are not just randomly put in Scripture in any particular order, but I believe God established them in a certain order. And we talked about the first four were what we called a vertical. They're dealing between God and man. And then the last six are horizontal. They're dealing with a man-to-man or person-to-person relationship. So God gives us the first four because if we can't get things right with him, church, let me tell you, we're definitely not going to get things right with the crazy people on this earth. But God began, as we looked at last week, with that first commandment of no other gods before him. He established the fact that he is the I am. He is a being. He is being. He is. He had no beginning. 
He has no middle. He has no end. He's not past, present, or future. He just is. He's everything. Yes, go ahead. Let your mind wrap around that. You will never figure it out. If you do, let me know. But he just is. And that's how he described himself to Moses. I am. Tell the people I am sent me. The one who is. So once we can somewhat gather that and understand that nothing created God, but God created everything. So you need nothing else besides him. So he is the top. He is the head. He is the creator. Once we got that, then we come today to commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or an idol. Let's take a look there. These verses for today. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Let me just read them to you again. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I... The Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what is he saying here when he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, a graven image, an idol? The first thing I want us to look at is we make it ourselves? There's a problem right there. Okay, what does he say? You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Let me tell you what, anything I can make, it ain't worth much anything. Anything you can make, it's not going to uphold. It's not worth anything. Who do we think we are that we can create our own God? Well, what do I mean by that? But... You know, if we take it there as not creating for yourself, let me ask you this question. What good is it if we make it? Have any of you men, you carry little knives in your pocket? Have you ever taken a piece of wood and whittled on it? I think that's what we used to call it today. You whittle, you made something. Could it do anything? No. That's what he's trying to say. But he says, what good is it if we make it? Because let me tell you what, we're going to create what we like. Amen? If I'm going to create something, I'm going to create something I like. I don't like a snake. Let me tell you what, I'll hurt myself even over a dead snake. I'm not going to create a snake to worship. I don't even want to see it. I don't like seeing it on TV. Don't let it pop up on the phone, man. Give you nightmares. But that's how we are. We like what we like. So if I'm going to create something, I'm going to create something I like, whether it's any good or not. We don't always create what's best for us. Come on, parents. Now, you know about that. Child can make his own rules, but it's not always the best rules. Have you ever had to make a rule for your child that they didn't like, but it was what was best for them? You know, God is our heavenly father. Let's take a look at Psalm 10. Psalm 10, verses 3 through 6. And listen how the psalmist described this. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul. 
and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, and his thoughts are there is no God. His way prospers at all times, for judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. Now, you hear what the I is saying in that? I'm not going to meet adversity. How many of y'all in here have ever met adversity in your life? Every single one of us. Amen. So if I'm going to create something to worship, I'm going to create something I won't. I'm going to say there is no God. It says here that in the, the pride of his face, the wicked do not seek him. As his tongues are, there is no God. I'm going to think everything's going to prosper for me. In my way, everything looks good. I'm not going to come across adversity. So what is God? Why does God say don't create a graven image? Because we're going to create something that we want. And when we need it, it's going to do absolutely nothing for us. You hear God's love? I created everything. I am your protection. I am over you. I know all things. All things pass through my hand. So if I create it, it's, what good is it going to do? Secondly is what can it do if we create it? As I mentioned earlier, it's made of wood. It's made of metal. We see idols all around. If you carve something out, if you fashion something, it's exactly what it is. It's metal or it's wood. It will sit right there. I have never seen a statue of Buddha get up and walk across the platform it was sitting on. How many of you go in these Chinese restaurants and you see Buddha and you see some oranges in front of them? I ain't never seen one of them eat orange. You go back tomorrow, there's still an orange sitting there. What good is it if we create it? Those things in themselves can do absolutely nothing for us. Well, it might collect dust. It might sit on the shelf and look pretty. But no, it's more than that. It really can't do anything. But listen to what God says over in Psalm 40. Verses 1 and 2. Listen to what David wrote. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the Maori bog. And set my feet upon a rock. Making my steps secure. Do you see the benefit of God versus something we've created? Something that we wanted. Something that we did for ourselves. You know, we saw over in Psalm 30 where he said that, you know, I'm not going to have any problems. Well, we all know that's a big fat lie. So what we create isn't going to be created to do anything for us. But when we do, as it says right here in 40, that he was in the miry pit, he called out to his God and his God heard him. His God picked him up out of the miry clay. God wants to be there for us. He wants to be an active person in our life. That's his love. I want to be there. If you're worshiping something else, that something else is not going to do anything for you. It's not going to be there. It physically can't. What are these things that are created? We've seen snakes 
that people worship. We've seen birds. You know, sometimes there are graven images, carved images, molded images of things that in and of themselves could be good, but are not. And one of those is a crucifix. Now let me explain very quickly before you throw tomatoes. When I was in Honduras, we were building a house for this person. And I said, can we make a cross and put in there? Sounds good, right? Would you all agree? The Baptist folks are over here. We're going to help people. Let's put a cross. And they said, no. And they said, here's why. It says they worship the cross, the crucifix. Not what it represents. There is a mountain there, and you climb up this steep mountain. And a boy the size of myself almost didn't make it up there. It took me quite a while. Up on the top of this tall mountain was this huge, huge, tall statue of a crucifix. And I said, Wow, isn't that neat? And they said, No, because they worship that. Anywhere that the sun shines and it casts a shadow, they worship that. That's where the blessing is because that cross cast a shadow. So you see, it's not always the innocent things, but it has to do with what we do with it. That's why God said nothing in heaven above, nothing on the earth, nothing below. I mean, go over these days into to Greek, over to Rome. Remember the Parthenon that was out there and in later time than this, they had all these different little what they call niches, all these different little gods and everyone in a different place. Anything they'd think of, they'd create. The sun was there, let's worship the sun. You know, whatever it is, they would come up and they would worship these things and they did absolutely nothing for them. And what happens is when you begin to worship something, you idolize that and that begins to come up there. But you know, I believe this goes in today's passage far beyond just an idol that we can create. It's not necessarily something carved out. You want me to name you some other idols that are in our world today? Money. Job. Fame. Ball games. Hunting. Sports. Anything that begins to become something that we worship. Well, I don't worship those things. When you put them before God, you just worshiped at church. And that's what God's talking about. You know what? A job is good. We need money. Today's society causes us to operate after money. But when I put that ahead of God, when I don't believe that God can supply all of my needs and I have to go the extra mile... When I need to go hunting because season is fixing to close. Well, so we're going to miss church and we're not going to worship God today. Or we've got to go to a ball game. Or there's thousands and thousands of things that are out there. You know, the, the one, and we'll just pick on sports here for a minute that I know you've all heard. You know, if the weather forecasts predict rain, church will be down. I didn't say if it's raining. Let the weather forecast predict their rain and watch how fewer people go on average to a place of worship and worship God. And how they can sit there if they do come as if their only job is to hold that pew down. Now you can take a tornado, a thunderstorm, 
a snowstorm and put somebody in a stadium yelling at some people running after a piece of wrapped around dead pig and they will yell and sit there all day long. That becomes an idol. Something that we put above God. But God says what, and really, in actuality, in light of eternity, what do any of those things mean? Zero. Because they can do nothing for your eternity. God says I can do everything for your eternity. My son Jesus is the one that I sent because I love you to die so that you can have this. So you need to worship me. You see, not only are we make it ourselves, but how about secondly, we serve ourselves. We serve ourselves. Look there at the first part of verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. We serve ourselves. It becomes self-centeredness. I don't know if you've ever met anyone or encountered anyone in your life that was a self-centered person and all they thought about was their self. Many of us are that person. Because I know at times in my life I've created something in my mind that I needed more than God that I worship. Now Satan, he loves to put a blindfold on you. I didn't realize that's what it was. But when we begin to put things above God and we begin to worship these things that we have created, all we're doing is bowing down and serving these things that we've created. So what does that mean? We're serving ourselves. What a self-centered person that would be. And you know the problem with that is we worship what we want to. None of us worship what we don't want to. You know, luckily I'm back on sports for just a minute. Hope none of you are sports fanatics in here. We won't talk about it if you are. Just keep it to yourself for a little bit. But football's not my thing. So really, when it comes on TV, I don't care. Now there are some people that, you know, just get out the way. They're going to watch it. Now if it's something that I care about, it's a totally different story, right? We worship what we want to worship. When we create our own gods, we're going to create what we want. And what we want is what we're going to bow down to and it's what we're going to worship. But you know another problem that it says you shall not bow down to them or these are the things we've created. And a problem with that is that if we create them, we are worshiping them. And guess what? There's no consistency. What you worship might not be what I worship. There's no consistency in it. And also, if it's something that I've created, when over time it breaks or damages, I create another one. It's not the same thing. Get you out another piece of stick, whittle you something out. Go to the store where they have taken these molds and make them and look at them. Every one of them is slightly different. I mean, how is it that we're going to create and worship something that's constantly different? You know what God's saying? I'm constant. I'm always the same. You don't have to worry today what he's going to be like. Is he going to be different tomorrow? But no, he's always constant. There's a uniformity to God. He has created order in the world. We know who he is. God wants what's best for us. When we worship ourselves, we're worshiping what we want, whether it's the best or not. You know, God knows all things. Isaiah 55, 9 you jot that down there on your paper. Let me just read it to you. Isaiah 55, 9. For the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
What we're going to think of ain't the best way. God's way is the right way. What God thinks, his ways are higher than ours. We can't fathom those. That's why we've got to worship him. Let him be the one who loves us. Let him be the one who's leading us. Amen? Do you see the love story in this? It's not just a set of rules. He knows good and well that whatever we create is not what is best for us and that whatever we create is going to do us absolutely no good in the time of trouble here on earth and it sure as well ain't going to do anything for us in the hereafter because hay and wood and stubbles were all going to burn up. But what's of the Lord is going to stand and suffice. So you see, we make it for ourselves. That right there tells me it's no good. We serve ourselves. But let me give you the warning side maybe of this. And the third thing I want us to look at today is if we create it and we serve it, we curse ourselves. It's a strong word. We curse ourselves. Look at the last part of verse 5. For the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Let me just read to you. It's not on the screen. Verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what is he talking about here? But we bring ourselves Out from underneath God's protection when we go against God's word. Now remember who God is giving these ten commandments to. He's given them to what we now call the Israelite nation. Okay, God called them and gave them a covenant years before that they would be his people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they went into Egypt to get food and multiplied and multiplied and stayed there. And now some three or four hundred years have passed. So all those who are now in Egypt that are God's people have been raised under pagan worship. Raised with all of these idols all around them. And that's what they knew. God is bringing them out. And for the first time God is saying, I'm fixing to set you apart. I'm going to make you different. But I need you to understand that I love you and that I am the only way. He is beginning here, once again, setting the stage for his son, Jesus Christ, to be the only way to heaven. God says, this is the only way you're to worship me. Don't create these other things. I love you. They're not going to do you any good. But when we make things and we bow down to them, we bring ourselves out from underneath God's protection. Let me pause right there. and Let me just say this very lightly. If you want to do that for you, go ahead. But here's the problem. God created us to be man and woman. We become united in marriage. And we have children. And it tells us very plainly here that when we do this, we're not only bringing judgment upon ourselves, but upon our children. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers onto the children to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me. Why do the third and the fourth generation? Well, back in their day, you had a home that had the mom and pop in it. 
But the children would stay there. And sometimes there would be several generations worth of children. Well, what happens As parents, as fathers, you have the responsibility of physically teaching your children how to live. Bible tells us to train up a child the way he should go. We need to learn what path God has for our children and we need to lead them. We teach them ABCs. We teach them to read and to write. And in their day, they taught them the Torah. They taught them the Old Testament. But it's more than that. It was their actions. Children learn through the actions of those around them. Children learn through the actions of those who are supposed to be responsible for them. Children don't just happen. You know, there's some people in this world, I think, just they think you have sex and a child happens. No, God creates that child. And God has specifically chosen each and every person who has a child to have that child and that particular child. That child is a gift from God to you. And you have the responsibility of raising this child in the way that God would have them to do to teach them who God is. God is the father. He is teaching this nation here with these ten commandments that he loves them. And this is how it falls in. Today for us, son, don't put your hand on the hot stove. Would any of you say that that would be a command that you would give to your child? Yes. Are you trying to be mean and ugly to that child? No. What is it? You love them. You know that will hurt them. God loves us and he knows that outside of these Ten Commandments it will hurt us. You see, it's through our actions It doesn't just go down there, but he, look at there, I love that six. But he shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep his commandments. So we can take that, that God loves us, he's going to bless us, he's going to be steadfast for those who stay within his love. But also it says for those who keep my commandments. So God created us with the will to choose. And he gives you the right to choose to come under his blessing. Choose to come under his love, or you can choose to be out of it. Just very quickly, there was, I heard a story, I think I've shared part of this some years ago. People were going to have a contest of a painting to see what painting, who could depict the perfect picture of peace. So the day came, they had four or five paintings up there and the people came in and they're all walking along and here was one that was just beautiful meadows and then you had one that had a a pretty blue sky and it had a, a little pond in it and some green grass around it. And in that pond it was just as still as glass, almost like a mirror and all the little lambs and sheep around it and they're moving down, they come to the last one. And when they got there, you heard every one of them go, it was dark. It was these billowy, big storm clouds like we had yesterday. There was a waterfall just gushing over. The water's just going everywhere. And the side of the rocks, these little trees all growing out and everything swaying. And one of them's got a little tree that grows out. And right in the crook of that tree, when they got up real close and looked was a little bird's nest. And inside that bird's nest, it had four or five little birds and the storm was raging all over it. 
But when they looked right above those birds was a mama bird that had her wings out and around, protecting from the storm. And those birds were at perfect peace. See, that's what our God is. Why does he want us to worship him and him only? Because it doesn't matter what's going on in the storm around us. Whatever we create will do us nothing. But he can be right there in perfect peace. So what do we see from this? Let's just take a look real quick. What was the first one? We make it for ourselves. We're going to make what we want. It means nothing to us. It can do nothing for us. Secondly, we serve ourselves. That's self-centered. It's not going to do us any good to serve ourselves. It doesn't do anybody else any good to serve ourselves. And lastly, we curse ourselves when we do this. So this morning, let me ask you, do you want blessings or do you want curses? So in that, If we know that God is everything that we need, amen, have I hopefully established that to you today, then my question to you in closing, why do we need an idol? If we have the one who created everything and whatever we create, he's even created because he created the wood, the metal, the steel, whatever it is. Why do we need an idol? Church, we don't. What we need is the love of God. May you bow your heads.